Well, I'm just glad that you're here this morning. I want to welcome you. It's so good to have you at church with us. And I think that if you made it to church, you're already off to a great start for this upcoming week, okay? So I just want to encourage you. It's going to be a good thing for you. And I pray that God has something good for you this morning. Uh, we're concluding our series, The God I Never Knew. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit, and he's been very misunderstood in our culture, and he is a benefit to us. He came to be our helper and our friend, and so we want to know about him. We don't want to be afraid of him, and we want to see what the Bible has to say about him. One of the things that will help you understand the Holy Spirit is to understand the similarities between him and Jesus, Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're three in one. And so think about it. Jesus came to show us the Father. He's the physical manifestation of the Father's love. And we understand God by looking at Jesus. Jesus also helps us to understand the Holy Spirit. Think about it. The Father sent Jesus. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. Jesus was misunderstood. The Holy Spirit is misunderstood. Uh, Jesus was not welcomed by everyone. Herod tried to kill him. The Holy Spirit was not welcomed by everybody. On the day of Pentecost, there were people there in the crowd and they made fun of the disciples and they mocked them and said, they're drunk. There are some churches that don't welcome the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus did miracles. The Holy Spirit does miracles. Jesus told us to avoid sin. The Holy Spirit helps us avoid sin. Jesus taught us how to pray. The Holy Spirit helps us to pray. Jesus said some things that seemed weird in his day, but they were still true. The Holy Spirit does some things that seem weird in our day, but they're still of God. Some people didn't want Jesus to come and mess up their established religious uh, system. And some Christians don't want the Holy Spirit to come and mess up their established religious system. So we need to think about the similarities. And here's an important one. People who drew near to Jesus, Jesus drew near to them. And if you draw near to the Holy Spirit, he will draw near to you. That, that is the thing you need to understand. He loves you, he's your friend, and he wants to be a helper to you. Last week, we talked about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And just to briefly recap that, we said there are three baptisms that we can all experience. There's the baptism that the Holy Spirit performs, where he baptizes us into the body of Christ when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. There's a second baptism of water baptism. It's a sign that we have physically died to our old selves and been made new through Jesus. And we're all supposed to do that. And then there's a third baptism. Jesus told his disciples to wait and that he would baptize them with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist said in all four gospels, the one who's coming after me, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, he will baptize you with the Spirit and with fire. So Jesus performs a baptism with the Holy Spirit where he wants to pour out his Spirit on you the way he did with his disciples. And once you ask him to and you receive that uh, outpouring from him, it gives you so many benefits. Power to be a, a witness for him. It helps you to resist sin in your life. Um, the fruit of the Spirit grows in your life uh, in more abundance. So it's just really good for you. Now, last week, about a thousand people stood up in all of our services and asked Jesus to baptize them with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? So I'll just tell you, if we have a church that is that open and hungry for more of God, there is no stopping us. 
There's no end to what God will do through us. And so before I go forward with today's message, I want to encourage those of you who asked Jesus to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you weren't there. You can still do this at any point, just opening yourself up to him. Uh, you can also ask him to refill you with the Holy Spirit. Some people ask, you know, well, how do I know that wasn't all just in my head? How do I know that he really did that for me. Well, I want you to think about the similarities between that experience and the other experiences we have as Christians. How many of you have ever heard the enemy whispering into your head, how do you know you're really saved? How do you know that you're really going to heaven when you, how do you know there is a heaven? How do you know there is a God who loves you? How do you know he's really forgiven you? The enemy loves to speak doubt. He speaks lies. He's the father of lies. He wants to discourage you. And in the same way, he'll come along and he'll say, that wasn't real. That was all just in your head. You're just silly. Nothing happened. But here's the most important question. Did you ask? Did you ask? I'm going to read this verse later. But in Luke 11, Jesus says that when you ask for the Holy Spirit, you will receive it. And I want to encourage you in this. Don't compare your experiences as a Christian to other people's experience and think that yours has to look just like theirs. Right. One of the things I've noticed is that some people even receive Jesus in very different ways. Some people, they fall to their knees and they cry and they, they cry out to God and they say, I re receive you, Jesus, forgive. And other people, it's a lot more of a process. And they're sitting in church one day and they're like, man, I think I believe this, Right. The disciples, they believed in Jesus over the course of three years. It took them a while. So don't look at someone else and think, my experience has to look exactly like theirs. Some people, they receive the Holy Spirit and they're overwhelmed with emotion. Other people, I don't think it has to be like that. Think about water baptism as another comparison. When we baptize people in water, some people are pretty much like ready to dive into that water. And other people, then we're like, okay, I'm going to do this. But they like tiptoe in. And I'd say it's very similar. Like if you open yourself to receive everything that God has for you and you ask Jesus to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, whether you dive in or tiptoe in, you're going to end up soaked. Okay. So just be open to what God has for you and walk with the Lord. And God has this way of showing us things when we least expect it. And the Holy Spirit has this way of pouring himself out on us when we need it most. So just keep pursuing that. Keep asking uh, Jesus to give you more of the Holy Spirit, to fill you again, and receive it. Receive it by faith. We receive Jesus by faith, and we receive the Holy Spirit by faith. So today I want to answer another question. And just because I like to keep it controversial, because it's more fun for me, to be honest, Here's the question we're going to ask. Does he speak in tongues? And if you've missed uh, some of the previous weeks, the word tongues in the Greek, it means language. So it's a language. Does he speak in tongues? Does he speak in languages? Um, this is one of the most controversial subjects in Christianity. And, and many people disagree about this issue. And you can be a Christian and disagree about this. Some people in our church, they disagree with me. We're still friends. Uh, we still high five. You're still allowed to come to church here. But I just want to, I want to encourage you not to be, not to be afraid about this issue because people are curious about this and they constantly ask. They ask about tongues and, but usually it's more like this. What about tongues? Like you'd think they peed their pants. Like, Hey, come here. I have a question. Right? Like, what about tongues? What about, what's up with, what's up with tongues? 
Like they don't want anyone to know. Like they're afraid, even if you know, like if you know I asked, you'll, be, you'll think I'm weird. And they're nervous about it. Some people get nervous. Some people are afraid. Uh, some people get angry when this topic comes up. You should never get upset when we talk about anything that's in the Bible, okay? You should never feel yourself wanting to storm out of church or be upset uh, if you're a Christian and someone disagrees with you about a secondary issue like this. We're not disagreeing about like Jesus being God, okay? So, so we want to talk about this. We want to look at what the Bible says, and we want to answer that question. People always ask, what about tongues? I heard it's a thing with the baptism, with the Holy Spirit. Um, I heard it's something crazy people do. Uh, my old pastor told me that's not for us anymore. So, so what's up? Like everything, I do not care what people say. I care what the word of God says. I want to know what the Bible says. So let's do that. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So the Holy Spirit enabled them on the day of Pentecost, and they spoke in tongues. So I'll just point this out. Um, The Spirit of God gave them utterance or enabled them to speak in tongues. So we just kind of answered the topic. Yes, he speaks in tongues. If he can enable them to do it, then obviously he does. He speaks in various languages, and he can do that. Um, But the question is, okay, that was the day of Pentecost. Is this normal, though, or was that a one-time thing? Well, let us look at what the Scriptures say. I'm just going to show you. I've searched through the entire book of Acts. I found every single spot where it says that disciples were either filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was poured out on them, or they fully received it. Okay, so I found all the locations. You can feel free to check it, knock yourself out, and I've evaluated what it says. I'm going to share the results with you. We know what it says in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 4, it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and these were probably the same believers, but it does not mention them speaking in tongues again. In Acts chapter 8, the Samaritans are baptized with the Holy Spirit, and no tongues are mentioned in that chapter. In Acts chapter 9, Saul is saved, and he receives the Holy Spirit. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. In that chapter, no tongues are mentioned, but it is inferred logically that Paul spoke in tongues because he tells us he spoke in tongues. So uh, we'll kind of count that as a yes. Acts chapter 10 The Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles, and they did speak with tongues. Acts chapter 11 talks about Acts chapter 10, so we won't count that as a separate occurrence. In Acts 13, it says the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. It does not mention tongues. In Acts 19, it says the Holy Spirit came upon the Ephesians, and they did speak in tongues. So there are seven occurrences, three times yes, One time, not specifically said, but logically inferred because it's Saul and he becomes Paul and tells us he speaks in tongues. Three times not mentioned, okay? So three times tongues is not mentioned. Now, I'll just point this out to you logically if we're looking at this like an investigator. Just because it's not mentioned also does not mean that it necessarily did not happen. It doesn't say it did, but it also doesn't say it, did, that it didn't. So, like, for example, you can say something. It doesn't mean that other things can't be true. I might tell you Thanksgiving dinner was really good, period doesn't mean dessert wasn't also really good. I just didn't mention it. Dessert was really good. My wife makes the best pumpkin pie. 
So I'm just pointing that out, okay? We want to think through this logically. So here's a game I like to play as a pastor, and I'm going to invite you to play this game with me as Christians. Here's the game. If I just read the Bible with no denomination or pastor to tell me what to think, how would I receive what I read? What would I see with no preconceptions or biases? It's a great game. It's a great game. You should play it. You know, teaching can be helpful, but what is more important, we know that people can misinterpret sometimes. And so you want to always go back to that. Like, what would I see without bias? Here's what you would see. That people receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit as a separate occurrence from their salvation, you would see that multiple times it is clearly mentioned that they spoke in tongues, that in 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about the gifts of the Spirit for the body, that people would give a message from God in a language that the person giving the message did not understand, or a message in tongues from God, which also required interpretation so that people could understand it. And then you would also see that there were Christians who prayed in tongues privately in their prayer life. Okay, that's what you would see. And then you would also see this. Nowhere does it say that you cannot do that. It does not say that, okay? There are some Christians who will point to one of the verses we read last week where it says, um, when the perfect comes, tongues and prophecy and knowledge will cease. And so they'll try to say that that means the Bible, but it's obviously not the Bible. The perfect is the perfect one, Jesus. So when Jesus comes, those things will cease. Until Jesus comes, tongues doesn't cease. The gifts of the Spirit don't cease. And it's kind of obvious, knowledge doesn't cease. We still need those things, okay? So the Holy Spirit did not cease to operate when the Bible was finished being written and canonized in AD 3-something. He still moves, he still speaks, he still heals, he still gives gifts, and his power is for us today. So previously, we've talked about the manifestational gifts of the Spirit mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12. One of them was the gifts of tongues, the gift of tongues, and it needs to be interpreted. It needs to be interpreted so people can understand it. It's not something that everyone will experience or needs to experience. And we know that because at the end of that chapter, Paul says, we'll all speak in tongues. We'll all interpret tongues. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? His point was, we're different parts of the body of Christ, and God works through us uniquely um, and exercises his gifts through us individually. We're not all going to exercise every gift. Okay? But then... For people who have been baptized with the Holy Spirit, there is also a prayer language using tongues that you can take advantage of regularly. And I'm going to show you. Number one, if you're taking notes, it's scriptural. So feel free to write that down in your notes and underline it and put it in all caps. It's scriptural. And you can turn to your Bible, 1 Corinthians 14. If you want to follow along, I encourage you to do that because we're going to be in that chapter a lot. So understand this, the letter of 1 Corinthians was written to the church in Corinth. 
And the people, people today, it's ironic that they're afraid of the Holy Spirit and that they use this letter to dissuade others from embracing the Holy Spirit because this letter was written to the Corinthians and their problem was not being shy about the Holy Spirit. Their problem is they were too excited about it. And so Paul was telling them like, yo guys, you need to have order in your church services. You can't all just be crazy and do whatever you want. Okay, and so other people look at that and they'll be like, well, look at Paul is not really happy about the Holy Spirit. And they'll kind of take it out of context. And Paul knew that people could fall into the danger of taking it too far to the extreme. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 14, 39, he says, do not forbid speaking in tongues. That verse is in the Bible. Some people wish it wasn't in the Bible. There are pastors who wish it wasn't in the Bible. Right, because you'd be like, man, this issue is complicated. I'd rather just avoid it. Yo, let's just not do that. But God, in his wisdom, decided to specifically say, do not forbid speaking in tongues. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 14, it talks about the gift of tongues used for the church body. And it says that when unbelievers or uninformed people are present, we should exercise restraint and it's not the appropriate time to use that gift. So for example, we have our church gatherings on Sunday and every week dozens of people are in this service and they don't know Jesus. They haven't accepted him. They've never been taught about this issue. And so Paul was saying, if you're all praying in tongues and busting out, giving messages in tongues from God, you're going to going to cause them to stumble. They're going to look at you and say, you're crazy. And so he says, don't, this is not really the best time. It's not appropriate. Don't do that because you love them. All right. So he's telling us that the point of what he's saying about church services in first Corinthians 14 is that when we come together, people should understand, they need to understand. So we should speak, we should prophesy in a language that people can understand. He wants us all to understand it. That's beneficial. But here's what you have to understand. He uses his personal, private prayer life to make that point. And so the way to understand 1 Corinthians 14 and understand this issue is to see that in the same chapter, he's talking about the public use of tongues and the private use of tongues. And he talks about them back and forth. If you don't see that, you'll miss the whole point and you'll miss the issue. And honestly, a lot of people miss it. A lot of pastors, they miss it. But I'm gonna show you. You wanna understand that he compares and contrasts public with private. So I'll show you 1 Corinthians 14, 2. He's gonna start explaining, and this shows us insight into praying in tongues privately. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. This already infers praying in tongues to God privately. Because we know that when a message in tongues comes from God, as is talked about in chapter 12, it's from God to people and it needs to be interpreted. But he's saying here that when you speak in tongues, you don't speak to people, but to God. That's just like how we pray. We don't pray to people, we pray to God. Okay, so we're starting to see this picture come together. It's, it's a private prayer language to God, and it's a gift that people can take advantage of in their personal prayer life. Um, so I wanna just address one of the concerns and questions right off the bat that people have, and the thing that a comment is commonly made is this. Okay, well, I heard someone 
speaking in tongues or praying in tongues, and it sounds like gibberish, right? You've heard someone say that? Maybe you thought that. It just sounds like gibberish. Uh, it doesn't sound like a language I even recognize. You know, we, we would recognize some languages, Espanol, uh, French, right? And, and you would say like, okay, that sounds kind of familiar. But then if you're honest, there's a lot of languages that you would hear and have never been exposed to before. And they would also sound like, like gibberish to you. So um, I would say reading this verse that's still up on the screen, you should expect to not understand or recognize what's being said. Because it says, indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. This is a little different than what you saw in Acts chapter 2, where they spoke in tongues, it was a sign, and the people around them understood them in their own language. That was a sign. But then here we see this kind of private prayer language to God. It says, no one understands them. It's a mystery. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. So I would say, if someone was praying in tongues and you would say, like, ah, this sounds kind of random, it'd be like, yeah, God said it's a mystery. Okay? 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12, we're going forward. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. This is the public church gathering where we worship together. Everyone needs to understand. So that's the public gift of tongues, which requires interpretation. We need to understand a message from God so we can all be built up. Goes on to the next verse. And now he starts to explain the concept using his personal prayer life. 14 says this, for, for, or you could read it as for example, verse 14, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. If I pray in a language I don't understand, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. My mind doesn't understand. So he's making the comparison. In my private personal life, if I pray in tongues, my mind doesn't understand. He goes on to explain that. What am I to do? Verse 15, I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. Man, this verse is critical to understanding this issue. There is a direct contrast between praying with your spirit in a language you don't understand and praying with your mind in a language you do understand. Other translations even say, I will pray with my mind, uh, or they say, I'll pray with my understanding. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing pr- with my mind also. Again, there's, just, there's these two things, and they're directly contrasting. Understanding, no understanding. A language I know, a language I don't know. So he's saying, in church, people need to understand. Um, in private, uh, I do both. And it's okay. So he says, what will I do? I'm going to do this uh, in a language I do know and a language I don't know. He's giving us insight into how public worship should take place using his private prayer language. Okay, good. I can tell you're all following me. I can tell you're tracking and that you're loving this and you're excited and the word of God is piercing through. It's just great, right? Okay, now he follows up after making this parenthetical statement about his private prayer life, going back in verse 16 to addressing where he left off in verses 12 and 13. So he goes back to talking about the public uh, prayer, uh, you, a public gift of tongues and worship gatherings. So in verse 16, it says, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may give You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. So he says, in church, people need to understand. 
Like in my private life, I pray in a language I understand and I pray in a language I don't understand. And then he goes back to in church, right? Otherwise, when a newbie comes, that's what that word literally means. Like an uninitiated person, an outsider, someone who's new to the faith. And they, don't, they come and then they ask you to pray for them and you start praying in tongues, they don't, they're not gonna understand. You're not gonna benefit them. So this is, good, this is like a good little sub point. You know, okay, so you might be someone who prays in tongues already. If I come up to you and I'm a new Christian, I'm like, hey man, I've been kind of struggling. Will you pray for me? And you just bust out praying in tongues. It's not gonna really help me. That's what that verse says. I'm gonna be standing there like, cool. <laughs> like what just happened, right? That's what that's saying. You, you wanna pray for them in a way that builds them up as well and encourages them. Okay, so here's what's funny. A lot of people read this chapter and they walk away with the impression sometimes that Paul is thumbs down on praying in tongues. Or they want to think that, or they've been taught that. Um, Could that be true? I'm gonna show you, no. He is super pumped about praying in tongues. And we see that in verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Braggadocious much, Paul? Right, like what if I got up here, I was like, man, I thank God that I bench pressed more than all you fools, right? Like he's just bragging, like I'm competitive. I'm like, oh yeah, we'll see about that, right? But he, he's obviously big, he's pumped about speaking in tongues. And we know he was talking about his private prayer language. Why, how do we know that? Because we keep reading the Bible. Verse 19 says, but, it's a good but, right? It's a good but, it's a big but. Come on. In church, in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church, private, public. Wow, it's so clear. When you take your bias out, when you take preconceived notions out, private, public, private, public, private, anyone can do, public, not everyone's gonna do. Private, it's beneficial. Public, there needs to be some rules and some guidance. So I'm gonna talk about this. Why should we want to pray in tongues? Why should we want to pray in a language we don't understand? Number two, it's a benefit. It's a benefit. The Holy Spirit is our friend with benefits. Okay, and this is a benefit. It's a benefit that's often misunderstood. Some people take it out of context. Some people have abused it, but it's a benefit. And I don't want you to completely miss out on it because other people have maybe caused misunderstandings. I want to try to explain this in a way. It's not the primary reason that Jesus wanted to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. He didn't baptize us with the Holy Spirit so that we could pray in tongues. He did it so that we would have power to be his witnesses, so that we could have more of the Spirit in our lives, which results in more fruit, so that we could resist sin. But tongues is a benefit, being able to pray in tongues in your private prayer language. Why? I'm going to show you. It builds you up. It builds you up. In verse four, he says this, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. This is privately, you're praying in tongues, it builds you up. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. They're both true, they're both true. And it's not bad to build yourself up. It's a good thing, right? Like if I said, when you read your Bible in private, you build up yourself. That's good, right? Like you need to be built up. 
And so praying in tongue, it builds you up. I, I remember asking my dad when I was growing up, like, what's the point? Why pray in tongues? He's like, it builds you up. What he didn't say was like, hey, dummy, it says it right there. It builds you up. But that is kind of like, it's so clear, okay? In Jude chapter 1, verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Builds you up. Praying in the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues, it builds you up. Here's the next benefit. It helps you stand firm against your enemy. Helps you resist the enemy. We talked about spiritual warfare previously. Um, Just did a series on the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. And at the end of that passage where it talks about spiritual warfare, putting on the armor of God, it says this in verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. In verse 18, look at it, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. That verse makes so much more sense after having studied 1 Corinthians 14. Pray in the Spirit with all kinds of prayers. There's different kinds of prayers. There's prayers of thanksgiving. There's prayers of request. There's prayers in English. There's prayers in tongues. All kinds of prayers. Pray in the Spirit. It helps you stand firm against the enemy and put on the armor of God. It helps you resist temptation and the attacks of the enemy. It's supernatural. Here's another benefit. It allows you to pray the perfect will of God. Romans 8.26 says this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Of God. There are times when we don't know what we should pray. There are times that I am in a situation and I know I should pray, but I don't really know what to say. There are some times when my mind or my understanding can actually get in the way of my prayers to God because I'm too upset, I'm too afraid, um, I'm too worried. And I should admit that. I should admit it to you. There are some times when I'm like, yo, I'm going to pray, right? Because we're all supposed to do that and we're Christians. So I sit down, like, okay, I'm going to pray now. Uh, Pray for my family. Pray for the church. Pray for uh, missionaries around the world and for our city. And then I'm like, whew, that's all I got. How long has it been? Oh, five minutes. Wow. (laughs) Like, I felt like 45 minutes. But then you get to this point where you're like, I just don't really feel like I got a lot more to say. But the Holy Spirit helps us to pray when we don't know what to pray. Also, sometimes because I'm a sinful human being, I pray things that are a result of my selfish, human, fleshly nature. Like there have been times, how many have ever asked God for something and then later looked back and said, I am so glad that God did not give me what I asked for. I am so glad that I did not get that job. I'm so glad that I did not marry that woman. God knew better, right? Sometimes our flesh kind of gets in the way. Like there have literally been times I have prayed for God to kill people. (laughs) I'm just keeping it real, yo. Like David did it in the Psalms, like strike down my enemies. I'm like, I'm praying the Psalms today. Crush my enemies, grind their bones. It's like what David prayed, right? And then the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, that's probably not the best. Yeah, you know. 
But when you pray in the Spirit, you pray the perfect will of God. You pray in alignment with what the Holy Spirit knows is good for you. Now, people will listen to this topic and they'll say, man, this whole praying in the Spirit thing, that was Paul. I can't do that. That was Paul. He was special. And I'd say, why? Why not? Why can't you do it? Paul talked about this because God knew that we needed to hear about this. So if he talks about it, it's for our benefits, for our example. We don't do that in other things. Like we don't read Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and then say, well, that was Paul. Jesus isn't going to strengthen me. I can't do all things. Right? No, we know like this is for our example. Like he talks about it. For, it's in the Bible for a reason. Some people will say, well, I don't have that gift. And, and, and maybe they're getting confused with 1 Corinthians 12, the gifts of the spirit that God gives for the body, for the benefit of all. Um, and so Paul even said, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret tongues, right? That's the public gift of tongues. And that's true, not everybody has that. But the indication from scripture is that this is available to all believers who've received the baptism with the Holy Spirit. There is nothing in scripture that even hints that we cannot take advantage of this as well. In fact, the opposite is true. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse five, Paul says this, now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. I want you all to speak in tongues. Now, you just got to like read that and just like soak that in for a minute. He's saying, I want you all to do this. And here's what, here's what he's saying literally in the Greek. That phrase, I want, is the word fellow, fellow, like fellow, right? He says, and here's what it means literally. I would like, I desire, I want, yo quiero. That was a tongue. That was Spanish, though. That was a tongue I do know. And so, oh, he's doing it. No, that was Spanish. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's like, I would like. I, and so what he's saying is, man, I would like it if you all spoke in tongues. I would like it if you did. I'll show you some other examples where he uses that exact same word. In chapter 7, he says, I wish, same word, that all of you were as I am. He was talking about being single. And he was basically making the point, like, I would love it if you were all single because you could devote your life full time to building up the kingdom of God without the responsibilities of taking care of your family. I'd love it if you were. He said, you know, he knows, like, not everybody is. And he said, that's okay. But he was saying it'd be beneficial for the kingdom of God if more people were, were single. It's, a, it's actually a gift that people have to remain single. It's not always a curse like some people think of it. Uh, it can be a gift, actually. And then later in that same chapter, in verse 32, he says, I would like you to be free from anxiety. Same word. I would like, I want you to be free from worry. I would like it if you would all be free from anxiety. Um, you're not all going to stop worrying, but man, it'd be so good for you if you would. Same word is used. I would like, I want you all to speak in tongues. I mean, I would like it if you all spoke in tongues. It's, maybe you're not all going to, but it would be good for you if you did. It's a benefit. That's what he's saying. Number three, it's a choice. It's a choice. You have a will. You have a choice. It's a decision. If you uh, exercise this ability in your life, you're not going to be like walking through Safeway one day and go into a trance and grab the loudspeaker, start speaking in tongues. Right? It's the same way that people have the gift of giving, but they don't walk by the offering box and have a check jump out of their pocket into the offering box. I wish they did, but it's a choice. Like you have to choose. Um, so it's a choice. And we know it's a choice. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have wrote this whole chapter where he tells them how and when to do it. 
He, he wouldn't give them instructions if they couldn't control it. And in verse 14, we see, he said, if I pray, and then in verse 15, he said, I will pray, if I pray in the spirit. I will pray in the spirit. So it's something I can control. I can choose to do this. Now in my life, there was a season when I was very resistant to this. I remember being like a teenager and I was asking at a church service to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit. But I was like kind of a rebellious kid and I was thinking in my mind like, I'm not gonna do this whole speaking in tongues thing just to prove to someone that I got the Holy Spirit. Like I'm not gonna do it. And so my mindset was this, I was literally praying this to God. Okay, God, I want the Holy Spirit but I'm not gonna do the tongues thing unless you make me. So it was like, I'll do it if you make me, but I'm not gonna just do it, right? It's kind of foolish when I look back on it. It's very foolish. It'd be like saying, cool God, I'm open to tithing. I'll do it if you make me. Like I'll do it if you make the money jump out of my checking account. So so I resisted it. I argued about this issue. Um, I didn't really want to accept it. And eventually, as I started like, you know, reading the Bible, and then I said, okay, I have to put my biases aside. Then I had to acknowledge, like, okay, it's definitely a thing. And so then I got to where I was like, okay, I want to be open to whatever the Holy Spirit has for me. But still, I was wrestling with speaking in tongues as a young adult. And my mindset was still like, oh, I don't want to do this just so I can say I did it. I want you to make me do it, basically. It was my mindset to God. And then eventually I heard the Holy Spirit say this to my heart. I'm not going to do this to you. I want to do this with you. You're a participant. I want you to have faith. I want you to exercise faith. It's a choice, right? The Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues as the Spirit enabled them, okay? So I would say to anyone who's like, well, I don't want to just force it and, and say that I did it. Don't force it. But the example is flow with it. Flow with it. If this is something that God is leading you to do, then you just flow with it. And I would say this too, and don't try to force other people to do this. Don't ever try to force someone else to do this. So many people have been hurt because other people have tried to coach them into how to speak in tongues or something, or try to force them to do it, or told them that they weren't a good Christian unless they did it. Like there's so much bad teaching. I would say be very, very careful about trying to coach someone in this issue. In fact, I'd say like pretty much don't. Show them what the Bible says. If you want, you can share your testimony with them and then just encourage them to pursue what God has for them. Uh, Some people, they've developed the ability to speak in tongues, but they have not developed the ability to speak with tact. Right? So be very careful in how you talk about this to other people. But I would say this. When you open yourself up to God, when you ask Jesus to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and you say, Lord, I want everything that you have for me, Do this, get alone with God in your quiet time with him and open yourself up to him as the Holy Spirit um, puts words or syllables in your heart and the desire to speak those things, just flow with it. Yield yourself to God. Now, for some people, it just pours out of them. And for other people, it might feel awkward at first. It might not feel natural. That's because it's not, it's supernatural. And we see that with the apostle Paul, when he first was filled with the Holy Spirit, he actually grew in power. It says in chapter 9, verse 22, yet Saul grew more and more powerful. 
as you uh, live in the Holy Spirit and walk with God, like, and you exercise the gifts that he gives you, you will grow in power. It will become easier. I'll just give you an example. Like I say this with humility. God called me to be a pastor and to preach and to teach. And so, you know, I feel like he gave me that gift, uh, but you don't know this. When I started preaching, I sucked at it. And you don't know, because you weren't here then, all right? But like, I was not good. It was not good. I did not feel natural. I was nervous. It was awkward. And like, now my family and my friends will be like, man, Ryan, no offense, but you've gotten a lot better. Like, <laughs> no offense, but you were terrible. And uh, it's better now. Um, and so I was so nervous. I was more afraid the first time I preached a sermon than when I was in a combat zone. I'm not lying to you. I felt like I was going to hyperventilate and die. And I was so nervous nervous about doing a, a, giving a message that I would manuscript out my sermons word for word, like every single word, comma, you know, question mark, like, because I was that uncomfortable doing it. And so over time, as I continued to exercise that gift, it became more natural and it started to flow more easily. And I think it's the same with the baptism with the Holy Spirit and even this ability to pray in tongues privately that for some people, it's like turn on a fire hose and it just gushes out of them. And for other people, it's more like turning on a coiled up garden hose. And it kind of, you know, has to kind of spurt out for a while before they get into the flow of it and it becomes more natural. So I would say it's like a lot of things with our walk with God. As you start to open yourself up to it and participate, the ability to exercise that gift naturally and fluidly will develop over time as you continue in faith. Okay. So don't be frustrated or feel awkward if it feels a little bit unnatural at first. Some people have been taught erroneously that if you open yourself up to this, that you could open yourself up to something evil. It's ridiculous. Like, if you do that, you'll get a demon. It's like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> or then, like, here's a valid concern. Like, well, I don't want to do something stupid that's fake and not real. And that's what the, the concern I don't want to be stupid and do something that's fake. Okay, so Jesus Christ addressed this specific issue. In Luke chapter 10, you're gonna love this. He says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. He was talking to his disciples about overcoming the enemy demonic forces and he compares them to snakes and scorpions. Notice that, go to the next chapter. Luke chapter 11, he says this in verse 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Wow. Coincidence? I think not. Right? He said, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, and I'll point this out. He's not talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. All believers who accept Jesus receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and you don't even have to ask for it. But he says, if you ask, sounds just like what we were talking about, asking Jesus to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. When you ask for more of God, he's not going to give you a counterfeit gift. You ask him for a fish because you're hungry, he's not gonna give you a snake. Ha ha, gotcha. 
The desire for more of God, it comes from the Holy Spirit. So when you say, man, I'm opening up to this, I want to experience whatever God has for me, you can rest assured when you ask your Father in heaven, man, he's gonna give you a good gift. Don't be afraid. The enemy wants you to be afraid of this. I'm so grateful that Jesus allows us to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's a benefit. Remember, Paul said, I wish all of you did this. It's good for you. If you do it, it'll build you up. It helps you put on the full armor of God and pray in the will of God. And so I just wanna encourage everyone in our church to open themselves up to whatever God has for them without previous biases or preconceptions or what they saw in the media or on a TV show, just looking at the word of God. I know some of you a minute ago, you're like, Pastor Ryan, you pray in the Holy Spirit? You pray in tongues? I'm like, yeah, bro, I do. You're like, but Pastor Ryan, you're like the least crazy pastor I've ever met. Like, I know, right? Like, it's possible, <laughs> you know? And it really is a benefit. God does want to pour his spirit out on you, and he has this as an, as an opportunity, and it's a benefit to you. So I think being open to this, asking the Holy Spirit to show you the truth, reading the word of God, and then I just want to encourage you, when you get alone with God, put some worship music on, and then as you feel the presence of God, let your spirit pray. Let's bow our heads. I want to pray. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we know that your word is truth. And we thank you that your spirit enables us to see the truth. So I pray that this will fall on fertile ground, Lord, and that our hearts will be desiring more of you, God, not a gift specifically, but more of you and your power. Lord, we know that you have equipped us to be effective in ministry. You've equipped us to live a victorious life for Jesus. So God, we just want everything that you have for us. We know that your gifts are good. Lord, I pray for every person in this room, no matter where they're at on the spectrum, uh, that none of us will be closed off to your spirit, but will be hungry for you and open to more of you. I thank you for your spirit, that it's a gift, that he is our friend and he helps us. God, I thank you for what you're doing in our church and in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.